So, John, it's it, it's been a week. It's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? It sure has been. Yeah. I uh, One thing I discovered this week was probably my new favorite podcast, other than this one. Um, it's from The Ringer. It's called uh, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Uh, it's by music critic Rob Harvilla. But each episode's only like 35 to 45 minutes, and he... He talks about songs that like he kind of grew up with in the nineties and talks about like their their origin, their the context within the artist's career, um, as well as brings in somebody to do an interview and then plays a song at the end. And I've grown to have a better appreciation for these things that uh either I found a little embarrassing or a little uh cheesy or corny to say I liked. Uh, he did a whole one on CNC Music Factory. He's going to make you sweat. And after he talked about all the legal troubles that that song went through, I had a better appreciation for it. Uh, but one he did, he's done so far, was Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms. Mm. And I, I've i always liked that song. I mean, were, were you, when they played at South Park, were you there? Yep. Okay. Where, where they came out and said, we know you only came us came here to watch us play hey jealousy yeah and then the show got rained out yeah we never got to hear hey jealousy <laughs> we never did <laughs> we got to hear two or three of gin blossom's other yeah. hits i mean yeah i one. wouldn't i wouldn't call them a one-hit wonder but no you know when that's always the risk if you're playing an outdoor show and you save <laughs> your number one hit like for for last <laughs> so it was a risk that they ran and it did not didn't quite pay off for them in that case, I don't think. But to get to get to the point, um, I, I've come to appreciate how dark that song really is when you actually listen to it. Hmm. Uh, I think Doug Hawkins was this was the guitarist's name when he wrote it, and he ended up uh, after that song basically blew up. Uh, he ended up taking his own life afterward because they they kicked him out of the Gin Blossoms had kicked him out of the band for his addiction problems. And he ended up taking his own life after it blew up. But he, um, one of the one of the lyrics I found fascinating, I never noticed in there is the past is gone, but something might be found to take its place. Mm. And I thought I, I've I've listened to the song over and over again over the past couple of days, and I couldn't help but start thinking of how well that quote actually fits to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I was I was wondering. <laughs> when well, you started with that, how you were going to bring it back to <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because well done for anybody. Yeah, for anybody that's noticed, we always try and find things that we've been either watching or listening to, or or finding that like connect into what we're what we're discussing. Um, but I I kept listening to the song and I just could not get it out of my head that this quote. I, I'm almost finding it almost the perfect time. <laughs> yeah uh and we, i mean we'll dive more into the into the, this idea once we get to the episode but uh, i just wanted to bring that up because i thought one it's a great podcast to go check out uh he does a bunch of top 40 hits and one hit wonders that uh, i i appreciate i want it that way even more now <laughs> since i know how it was written yeah that's interesting <laughs> i'll have to check that one out yeah we you and i kicked the idea around of kind of doing a, a song of the week that has a lyric or a theme mm-hmm. that applies to um either an episode or of a series or a film so you know our first official song can be hey jealousy by the gym <laughs> a true classic 
<laughs> I listening so. to it, you re- listening to it, you know, I recommend listening to it while you watch this episode. It's just a great fit. <laughs> it kind of is. The more you think about it. <laughs> and that is the truth. Welcome back, everybody, to Infinity Watchers, where you're listening to your favorite J&Js who, A, don't ask you for pictures of Spider-Man, and B, don't give you blood clots. And that is both Jared and John. When you mentioned J&J, I was going to make a a joke along the lines of the vaccine as well. So, (laughs) well done. (laughs) So, I've told you about my week. I've been binging that 90s podcast, that 60s podcast. Tell everyone about your week. Well, I um I've been car shopping a bit, just looking for a new SUV for my family. So that's been that's been exciting. Um, didn't consume a lot of a lot of media this week, just due to a busy work week and life week. As I completely feel you. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I, I haven't really watched anything new. Um, but you know, I'm looking forward to uh the mortal Kombat movie that comes out later this week that should be interesting i know i'm i'm excited i'm kind of excited for it too i actually found the original one on blu-ray for five dollars at um was it the exchange no it was best buy it was in best buy it's like five dollar mm. bin so i picked it up yeah it's not good but it's it's well worth it for five dollars it, it's good for what it is <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i'm 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 curious to see what this new one's like yeah that's that's been about it for me this week honestly you know marvel marvel had a busier week than we did they had a busy day <laughs> we're, we're, we're recording this a day later than usual uh it's monday night instead of sunday night and i'm kind of glad we waited because there were a, there was a lot of news that dropped today yes and yes. yesterday definitely Actually, we have two housekeeping notes to make first. Uh, first of all, <laughs> first and foremost, one of the um, one of the news items we're going to talk about is the new trailer that dropped today. And we've pr- been and we'd like to apologize formally. We've been pronouncing Sean Chi incorrectly for the past month. Yep. <laughs> uh, it was just brought to our attention today that it's been pronounced incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, going forward, we'll we'll pronounce it correctly. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our homework a little bit better. Yep. Uh, beforehand. Well, I, I mean, we do have one one other quick bit of housekeeping. We oh yeah, we're adding a segment to the podcast. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. So, um, at the end of every podcast, uh, until we run out of names, <laughs> we are we're going to kind of go through our top three choices for a Marvel character that will be debuting in an upcoming series or film um so this time we're kicking off with reed richards and we'll go through the the our each of our top three choices um not counting john krasinski who's kind of the consensus fan cast i guess yeah that that was our only Um, role was no john krasinski yep so we're going to handle a different character every week eventually we'll probably run out of marquee characters and just start throwing names at the wall or something but for now you know i think there are a lot of different characters upcoming the entire fantastic four you have the x-men other various mutants so um we we thought it would be a fun fun little segment to add to the end of our podcast yeah. uh, so you can tell we're gonna run out of ideas when we start casting squirrel girl yes <laughs> once we start getting into some of the D E list characters we're 
we're well, out we of ideas. Have, we don't have to key off our plans for next week just yet. <laughs> you said Reed Richards, but we're really doing Squirrel Girl this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes my list a little awkward then. <laughs> yeah, into the news. Um, the, the first bigger story this week was the interview that Alfred Molina um, gave to Variety. So, spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home if you don't want to know potential plot elements to that movie. But Alfred Molina officially confirmed he's returning as Otto Octavius in No Way Home. This is interesting because it hadn't been stated by official sources. And in the actual interview, he kind of was like, well, this is all over the internet, so I'm just going to confirm, yep, I'm in that movie. (laughs) Pretty much. So, he also mentioned, and this is the most interesting detail to me, he mentioned that this story picks off where Spider-Man 2 left off with Otto in the river. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a lot of questions about that. I mean, one <laughs> is a, a, a portal to another universe just going to open up in the river and suck him into it. Is he going to be antagonistic because his whole arc in that movie, he was in the river because he he sacrificed himself. Yeah, so uh, is he just going to be a hero? Like, is he not going to be a villain in this? I can't imagine that would be the case, but how do you do this carefully without invalidating that movie? Or do they just not care about that and they're just going to be, you know, they suck him in and he's a villain now? Forget about the the character development of that film. I don't know. I, I have a lot of questions. Maybe he's just... That's maybe that's just his kind of phrase and way that he's saying that yes, I'm playing the same Otto Octavius. He could have just meant, you know, I played him in that movie, now I'm playing that same character in this movie. And it's it's hard to say. Actors sometimes don't know all of the details of the films they're in as well. Um, so he it it's it's still up in the air. I just thought it was a very interesting quote by him. Unless they're letting him release this information and not give it to Tom Holland. That would be smart. <laughs> or or given uh, given Marvel's history of Spider-Man spoilers, they're just piecing out rumors to different parts of uh, different actors who were, who were rumored in, rumored to be in it. So uh, Alfred Molina says he's going to be in it starting off in the river. Tom Holland says that he's not even in it. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know Alfred Molina's in it. <laughs> so I think right now where we are for this film in terms of characters confirmed and rumored you know spoilers but confirmed we have um alfred molina's auto octavius jamie fox's electro and then rumored willem defoe's norman osborne really i haven't seen yeah. those rumors mm-hmm. i would love to see him come back toby Maguire and andrew garfield obviously yeah i i think this interview kind of confirms that i'm really shocked given that they have to be done filming, right? I don't know. That this um, comes out this year. It almost seems like they have to be. I'm surprised there haven't been any set photos of any of this yet, and they must really be doing a good job keeping it under wraps for now. I'm excited for it. I think they're getting into a little bit of dangerous territory by trying to put too much in this movie. Um, that sounds like a Sony play to me and not a, a Feige play. So we'll see. I mean, Doc, well, Stephen Strange is in this movie too. Oh, is he? I I didn't see that. Yeah, they confirmed that um, like three or four months ago, and he's (laughs) in like a mentor role to to Peter Parker in kind of a way that Tony Stark was. (laughs) I 
there's they have a lot to do in this in this one and it'll probably be only two hours and somehow cram mm-hmm. everything in it I, th- I think you're right it's, it might be a little too overcrowded or this is this might be other than i don't know let me let me think about this other than infinity war and endgame this might be the first solo movie if you want to call it that requires some additional viewing to understand what's going on yeah it's it's going to be a cluster of a movie i think and that and that includes the the three raimi yeah and they what worries me is they did such a great job with the villains in the first two tom holland (laughs) spider-man films right like vulture mysterio fantastic like probably top five villains in the mcu yeah each of them so both in character and casting with this if they're like okay we're pulling auto octavius from the mcguire movies we're gonna pull electro from the, the garfield movies i i so they're taking one of the most like beloved uh portrayals of doctor of auto octavius and one of the most i don't want to say hated but uh reviled versions of electro <laughs> and yeah, bringing I mean, them into this universe i think there's potential in jamie fox's yeah electro. there always was potential but, just the way he was written in the amazing spider-man 2 wasn't great. yeah it was a sloppy movie sony has a bad history when they're trying to cram things into spider-man movies anytime they've attempted that it's been messy spider-man 3 the amazing spider-man 2 exactly it's and maybe this again i guess they haven't learned their lesson we could see. I mean, this this will show how much power Feige really has. I think it could. These could be glorified cameos for these villains, and you have a, a larger true. villain like Craven the Hunter or something that's mm-hmm. overseeing it all, or Mysterio. I, I think he would come back at some point. Well, think about it. What what villains? It's obvious they're leading toward a Sinister Six. Yep. What villains have they already brought up in the MCU? It's Vulture, Mysterio scorpion and shocker shocker is kind of like a mind i i don't know unless but, yeah he's unless, in there unless they're oh. going to include him in their version of the sinister six because the tinkerer is in in homecoming as well mm-hmm. and that's really that's really it i mean technically they have the prowler <laughs> if they go back to donald glover yeah that's very true but they're so, probably saving that for a, a miles morales maybe i don't know there's there's so much that you could speculate on with the spider-man franchise going back going back to 2002 that it's (laughs) it's almost impossible to project or predict or understand what moves sony decides to make i mean i i would i would love to see willem defoe come back as green goblin norman osborne I I think they're I think they're very hesitant to go and show any of the Osborns in the MCU just because they've been done to death in the past yeah. and in all other media. So I that that you know our list of the Sinister Six also assumes that Mysterio is alive. Right. Spoilers for Far From Home. But well, yeah, I'm assuming at, at this point. Uh, yeah. But that's a that's a strong assumption. I would assume that I'm assuming he's not. Or I'm assuming he is alive. I'm sorry. Then um, that he's faking everything, uh, just given how that character can be. But I just, I don't know. It like you and I both said, it's very hard to just even yeah. begin to think of what their next move is here. Yeah. 
and you think you have to think we we just got our shang chi trailer mm-hmm. we're probably going to get an eternals trailer after the oscars because i think they're waiting on that to, to so they can have the tagline of academy award-winning director Chloe mm-hmm. Zhao. yeah <laughs> um and then you know with this being a december release we're right in the window where we would typically get a trailer so I wouldn't be surprised if we got some teaser soon or at least a confirmation of the Spider-Verse aspect of it. It's been out there for so long, I feel like. Yeah, I, I feel like for all we know, the, the stinger of the trailer itself is going to have both uh, Venom and Morbius at, at oh the end. Oh my God. Just pop up. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Morbius won't even have come out yet. This is before multiverse of madness as well so is okay. this going to kind of kick off that movie unless unless they fall in different places on the mcu timeline but in our timeline this movie will be out before that one i always had assumed it would come after and the shenanigans of that movie would result in like the spider-verse being opened in some way but that's the assumption but i think there's um I th- something's telling me that COVID threw off their own timeline as we'll yeah. get in, we'll get into that with the Falcon winter soldier as well. Right. Yep. Um, I think this pandemic really threw a wrench into their works and it, it kind of, if I can extrapolate for a second, I think that kind of shows the risk that Marvel takes when they plan out and DC, mm-hmm. any of these, ten, any of these studios that put tentpole franchises out there uh, that they plan out their, stories years in advance something like this global pandemic just shuts everything down shuts down production pushes everything back and it it throws off their timeline it throws off their storytelling techniques again we're gonna we'll get into that with fountain winter soldier um and even actors that die as we saw with chadwick boseman that that throws a wrench into the way they they do things now too absolutely so I, I think as great of a, as an experiment as, as great as an experiment as the MCU is in storytelling, I think it has a massive problem when it comes to their timeline. And back in like twenty, I think twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, when they were announcing their lineup for the next five years, you and I both said this is this is too much. I kind of wish they would just surprise us as things solidified. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, when you see, I don't know, um, what was a good example? Uh, when you see that Black Panther's going to appear in Captain America Civil War, you know yeah. that he's going to make it out of it alive because there's Black Panther coming. That that the hype it, at, at most of the time can tend to outweigh the consequences of mm-hmm. those. Yeah, and they, they proved that theory right as well because with Endgame, we knew Black Widow was coming. We knew Eternals was coming. Right. We didn't know at the time about Thor Love and Thunder. We didn't know about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. So with these films, it you really had no idea what was going to happen going into Endgame. No. Like no one knew who was going to make it out alive. I think, you know, spoilers for Endgame, but like Black Widow's death was a surprise. Mm-hmm. That was a shocker. You know, you kind of assumed Tony or Steve was going to go, but um, both pretty much did. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's it, it really made that movie exhilarating to watch because you had no idea who was going to make it out alive. Right. 
so on a on a positive scheduling and production note <laughs> dr strange 2 multiverse madness wrapped filming this week so the hype is real typically i don't even know if i would call this out as a notable thing but in in the era of covid it's encouraging when something wraps filming because that means you know there's no there's no location-based work that needs to be done anymore there will probably be reshoots and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. now they can just be in post-production and editing and uh, doing cgi work and that type of thing so good good stuff we're about i think a little over a year away from that one it comes out in may so may 2022 did you see bruce campbell's posts from april fool's day yeah about about uh was it Spider-Man or was it Doctor Strange? It, it was, was Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. <laughs> yeah, because of Sam Raimi. That's right. Because he of... and Sam Raimi have a great working relationship. <laughs> right. So... You, do you want to go over the joke? I think it was pretty good. Yeah. So the uh, the joke was he, he had a picture of the of the script for Doctor Strange two, and Stephen Strange shows up at a cabin in the woods, and <laughs> Ash from the Evil Dead come specifically Evil Dead two comes knocking out of the door saying who's there and when steven or when dr strange tries to like ask him who he is what's going on he's looking for a book and ash goes does it have is it a book with a ton of faces on it steven goes no he goes well it's not here (laughs) (laughs) great i would i would kill to see an evil dead cam evil dead cameo in I mean, you have to figure Bruce Campbell will be in that film in some capacity. Some way. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the best way to fit him in. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> Speaking of surprise cameos, this, this might not be a cameo. We're not entirely sure yet, uh, but it was just announced today. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter put an article out saying that Olivia Coleman is in talks to join uh, Secret Invasion along with Sam, Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn. There's really no idea of who should be playing. I I can't even begin to think of who it would be. But Olivia Coleman, well known for uh, actually won an Oscar for starring in Yurgos Lanthimos as the favorite in 2018. Uh, she's very well known for uh, being Queen Elizabeth II on the Crown, and she was she's she's nominated again for an Oscar this year for The Father. I lo- I love her work. I she's kind of an odd choice to me to put in the mcu but i i'd like to see where they go with this again there's no speculation i i can't I, she has to at least to me she she's probably a scroll of some sort or she's working uh with sam jackson and nick or she's working with nick fury in one way or another i could see that it, it it's really hard to pin down secret invasion just because i don't know what it is the entire scroll aspect of it is right she could be playing this person but also that person could be a scroll right i'm i'm immediately suspicious of any new characters added to that series that they will be a scroll by the end of it <laughs> so yeah that's an interesting bit of news and then the biggest yeah. one that dropped today um we we got our first look via entertainment weekly at shang chi and we got our first trailer um so let's start by talking about that trailer because it was great mm-hmm we got a lot of looks at Shang-Chi fighting in various places, like a skyscraper that looked very much like a scene out of Skyfall. Mm-hmm. There was almost a, a samurai-esque battle in some sort of um, blade somewhere. The The cinematography in this one is amazing, and that's not really any surprise given that it's Bill Pope that is the cinematographer for this. You know, he's He's done things like Alita, Battle Angel, 
um, some of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, the Matrix trilogy. I, just all these movies have standout cinematography. So it's very exciting to see that. And you kind of see all of the all of the locations in this trailer and the set pieces just look amazing. I mean, Destin Daniel Cretton looks like he's done a, a great job directing this and Bill Pope's mm-hmm. cinematography. Those paired together look like it, it's going to be a win for Marvel. We even get what looks like a flashback scene where it's almost two battling armies and there are tigers involved and it just looks amazing. And I'm I'm excited to see where this goes because based on the uh, direction Cretton's taking it in, uh, it it almost I, I have no firsthand knowledge of any '70s Bruce Lee or any Kung Fu or Jackie Chan movies in general, but I can tell that from the clips I've seen of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that's what he's going for. And yeah. I couldn't think of a better way to to introduce this character. Uh, especially since does I, I personally I don't know much about Sean Chi's history and either in the comics or as a character. Um, I think is, they're I think they're taking a lot. I don't want to say taking liberties with it, but they're kind of writing an MCU version of it. That's okay. They're they're not. It doesn't seem like they're beholden to it in the same way that they are with you know Iron Man, Captain America, that type of thing, where they you know mm-hmm. they're sticking strictly to the comics. I mean, I think one of the bigger changes in this is. This was confirmed before, but his father is the Mandarin. Okay. The the actual real Mandarin. Right. Not not Trevor yeah. Slattery. So I mean, you know that through the the Legend of the Ten Rings and the Ten Rings that are the power that the Mandarin holds. One thing that's interesting is in the comics, the Ten Rings originally belonged to Fin Fang Foom, who is a a <laughs> a, a dragon alien that crashed on Earth, and the Mandarin found his rings and got power from them. But I'm thinking they're actually going with that adaptation in this in this film because the it appears that the rings in the trailer are actually armbands mm-hmm. in the comics they were actually rings on your fingers yeah but if they're rings from a giant space dragon you would assume they can't fit on human hands so i think <laughs> they are actually like finger rings but they're wearing them someone is wearing them on their arms to get power from them so it, that's a really interesting looking looking thing with the with that and the ben kingsley trevor slattery mandarin and aldrich killian um <laughs> i am the mandarin. aspect aspect of of um iron man 3 i it's cool we're seeing that in in a way that's going to pay homage to the character who kind of in the comics and i think this is the reason they didn't go with a strict adaptation for Iron man 3 is he's a, he's a bit of sort of a racist caricature a little bit, bit. no Pretty, it, it's not not even a little bit. It would bit, not adapt well to modern times. So no. putting, adapting him into Shang-Chi's story and just making the Mandarin a title that his father held at some point in his criminal career seems like a good choice, I think, mm-hmm. in a way to kind of bring that character back into the, the MCU in his true form, but also make it more relevant and less stereotypical as well. Mm-hmm. I, I do think we get a, a Ben Kingsley cameo as Trevor Slattery. I would like so, to see it. I mean, the last place we saw him was in the All Hail the King shot. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which movie that was attached to, the one shot. But he basically, if you haven't seen it, he was picked up from prison. Someone broke into the prison specifically to get him, and they told him. It was, um, it, well, it was, well, it was Stuart He was playing in, in some some sort of interviewer interviewing oh, right. Trevor Slattery. And then he says, okay, turn off the camera, pulls a gun up at him and says, okay, you're coming with us. Yeah. The Mandarin would like to see you. I wonder if we get. I wonder if we get both of them then. 
yeah, you would almost assume we at least get Trevor Slattery in this. So I would love just, I mean, just a, a shot where Shang-Chi is walking through a prison or something and he's begging there, <laughs> you know, just making <laughs> some joke, like some begging to get out or something. That, that would be a nice, nice little tie. I don't think you have to spend too much time no. on it, but um, it's just probably a matter of if they can pull Ben Kingsley in for something like that, which I would, I would imagine he would be up for because he's talked pretty fondly of that role in the past. You could tell he was having fun with that role. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like both both sides of it as well. Yeah, I will say when I was watching this trailer, I kept thinking this is what Iron Fist should have been. I didn't even watch that show just because it was so bland. I watched the first season and I heard the second one was much better. I, I personally, I just couldn't bring myself to watch the second. Mm-hmm. It was too that first. Well, I couldn't watch the second of almost any of the Netflix series. Yeah, uh, but. Yeah, the first season of Iron Fist was so boring. There was only I can only distinctly remember one fight scene, and it was mm-hmm. because that episode was directed by Riza of the Wu Tang Clan. Mm. Uh, but and it was very well done, very well executed, and the whole premise was that Danny was going through like this fight uh, arena. Oh, that's where, cool. like, where like every every level he went down was like a different, um, like a tournament almost. Yeah, that's neat. Um, yeah. The entire time I was watching this trailer, I just kept thinking this is what that series should have been. Yeah, and I've read that this involves a, a martial arts tournament as well. So, okay. <laughs> interestingly enough, I don't know where or when. Um, but, you know, it, this looks like a fun movie. Aquafina looks like some nice comic relief to the movie. Mm-hmm. She's always funny in, in films, so she'll, mm-hmm. be a, she'll be a good fit. Hopefully she's not just kind of a one-note comic relief character. It has some some depth to her. Regardless, she should, even if she has just a one-note comic relief character, she should be a good one. It looks really interesting. Simu Lu looks like he's going to do a great job. I haven't seen him in anything. I've, I, well, I did watch one episode of Kim's Convenience, mm-hmm. which I heard was pretty funny. It's, it's, I enjoyed the episode I watched. I just didn't get back around to it. Yeah, it pops up every time I log on to Netflix, but I just I haven't had the, uh, the desire to start it. Because <laughs> I know once I start it, I won't stop even if yeah. I'm not the biggest fan, I still want to finish it. Yeah. So I just haven't, uh, I really haven't found the time to sit down and get through it. Yeah. He seems like from this trailer, he's going to bring an intensity to the role that looks like it's going to work out really well. Mm-hmm. He seems like a good actor. He's very enthusiastic. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter or anything, but he's very enthusiastic about being in the MCU and really excited. It's, it's cool. That's good. It's cool to see. Well, I think that's I think that's it for the news. Another big news week. It's with all these series and films upcoming. It's there's something to talk about every week. Pretty much, uh, pretty even amazing. even just the little things we're picking up, like the mm-hmm. Olivia Coleman story. Like we're we're just kind of stumbling onto them every yep. week and starting to speculate where we can. Yeah, there's always going to be news one way or another. And that is the truth. It was. Episode ah, five, the, huh? the penultimate this episode out in the Winter Soldier season or series. We're not entirely sure if the second season's coming yet, but it was entitled "Truth," directed again by Kari Scotland, and written this time by. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Dallin Musson, Dallin hmm. Musson. Um, he he has no major head writer credits. Interesting. The, the only one I could find was from a B movie called iron sky 2 which was about and i'm not joking here nazis who take over the moon 
I'm not on mute. I'm just like processing. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see his face. Like he's he's that he's is trying, that's very. He's trying to understand what's what, I, what I, I just said. Anyone's played Wolfenstein, but that is very Wolfenstein. <laughs> it pretty much is. Yeah, uh, that's the only other head head writer credit he has. I mean, all of these shows have had writers' rooms with them, uh, but uh, there's always there always tends to be a head writer who like progresses mm-hmm. the entire. Um, well, other than Malcolm Spellman, who's been co or who's been one of the creators of it and one of the executive producers who mm-hmm. basically sets out the entire show. The head writer basically says how we're getting from point A to point B. But I think if we can just dive, I just want, kind of want to dive into the problems at first on this one, just I have a lot of them, believe it or oh, not. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It feels like this came from a first time head writer because it feels very discombobulated and a little um disjointed a disjointed bit. a little mm-hmm. bit uh and it, it shows i think scotland's direction of it was was perfect with what she had to work with this this episode was very character driven mm-hmm. um and i i've been picking up on as i mentioned last week there was a theme of uh supremacy that overshadows this entire show and it, it's still here too in spurts um but the main theme this week was consequences for all the characters and them dealing with the consequences of their actions up to this point in the series yep but there wasn't much of a plot to go off of i mean sam goes back to louisiana yeah uh, to visit his sister and uh, basically they were waiting on a on a tip from torres on what the next move of mm-hmm. uh, carly is i get that but it also is the point in the series where everyone kind of goes their separate ways to internalize things right to- to set them back because they since since they broke zemo out of jail pretty much it's been plot it's been plot heavy and everyone's kind of well minus the the madripoor stuff but everyone's kind of been on the same threads Mm -hmm. but now it's like okay we resolved that battle this big thing happened and everyone needs to kind of go their separate ways and deal with consequences like you said and i can understand that um having a more character driven episode after having two plot heavy two or three plot heavy uh, episodes uh, but my problem tends to be what they did with some of these characters and the way it was pieced together uh my first major problem is zemo in this one really i think because i feel like they just kind of sent him off and there really wasn't an end to the i feel like at this point he's been he, he's been a major player and now this is the third episode Mm-hmm. and he doesn't need an arc but he i feel like they just i feel like he just was sent off without a purpose at this point in the series i i got the sense he was going to regroup and kill carly carly but didn't have the capacity to do it at that time so he kind of ran away and bucky tracked him down right yeah like, i i think his purpose at that point was like he was getting caught <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, but I, I don't know. Just me personally, I feel like he was a wasted character to me because I feel like, given the themes of the of the show of um, of perspective and change and um, seeing seeing things, seeing symbols from different perspectives, I feel like Zemo would have been a good character to have actually have an arc with with mm-hmm. that in the first. And you could do a perfect three episode arc with him and then have him written off. Where in the first episode, he outright says, I don't like super soldiers. I'd like to kill them all, essentially. I'm summarizing here, but says, I don't want super soldiers around anymore. I'll help you. 
in the second one, he ten, he some of his logic is questioned, and he even admits that, yeah, I have faults in my logic. And the third one, in the third one, he could they could have him basically end his arc with saying, "Okay, I've realized that I'm in the wrong. Some super soldiers can do some good in this case, but yeah. but everything in the show has led him to be." Uh, be right by the third episode i feel like they could have made it to where he is basically seen the light on super soldiers where it's, yes most of them are supremacists in one way or another but there can be some good done or superpowered beings or the avengers will say i'm just gonna use as a placeholder uh have done some good do you know do you see what i'm getting at yeah and i, I think we kind of got there a little bit because in this episode, he basically says he doesn't want to kill Bucky anymore. Yeah. Kind of that's another... He He's made an exception for two out of the three super soldiers he's come face-to-face with. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he's going to kill Carly if Walker didn't interrupt. But he doesn't want to kill Zemo and he didn't want to kill Steve Rogers. Right. Well, he might have wanted to kill Steve Rogers. I don't know. but That was never really uh, clear. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. To me, to me, Zemo at this point just feels kind of wasted as a, as a meme. Uh, but I, I, I love that they put him in the show and I mm-hmm. love that, uh, they've had fun with them. Uh, but just this, I, part of me hopes this isn't the last time we see him in this series, whether it's an, a post credit scene next week, or if they have just one scene of him in, at the raft. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think we definitely have not seen the last of him. I think they very deliberately put him in the raft. If we could just, we'll, we'll just hit on that that okay. scene okay. now. So they they very deliberately put him in the raft, and I don't see why they wouldn't take him back to Wakanda for trial or anything like that and just stick him in the raft. Mm-hmm. Unless, not really a plot reason, but a meta universe reason, in Civil War, who controlled the raft? It was Ross. Ross. Yeah, Thunderbolts. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that really is it. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the post credit scene. Mm-hmm. Like, almost you're, the end of Civil War when Sam's in the, the cage in the in the prison cell. And Steve walks up to the prison cell and kind of smiles. Mm-hmm. Just let him know he's going to break him out. You can see almost like a shadowy flip side of that where Zemo's in and Ross comes up to talk to him in his cell right i think i think that's the reason he's in the raft is just to get ready for the thunderbolts that's true and i think i think that's a good point um that i didn't truly consider uh but just at this point i feel like he's being underutilized and that it could have done something something just a little bit more with him Mm -hmm. but i mean to your point putting him in the raft was a purposeful choice so it doesn't seem unreasonable for there to be a thunderbolt set up at the end here Mm -hmm. yeah and i i to to close the book on zemo in the first episode the one where we went to madripoor i had kind of said that i i hope he doesn't dupe sam and bucky by the end of this or pull one over on them it would be too obvious for that to happen and i'm glad it didn't and i think it's fitting that bucky was the one who kind of got one over on zemo as well and Zemo was fully prepared to die to Bucky. Yeah, that's true. Right there, which was kind of sad. Like he looked at Bucky and nodded, like, 
I know what you have to do. Just do it. And Bucky emptied that clip. That was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I was happy that, you know, he didn't pull one over on them. Bucky ended up catching him or he wanted to be caught or something. I, I don't know how they ended up in that, at that Sokovian Memorial, but I thought it was a fitting end. I, I don't know how else you could have involved Zemo at this point. You know, they're kind of dropping the side characters in favor of the main conflict. Right. And I, just me personally, I feel like this show could have used maybe one or two more episodes. Yeah. To just flesh out, just a li- tease out or flesh out a little bit more of the side characters. Yes. Just just a little bit to where it feels a little more satisfying. It Everything with Sam, Bucky, and John feels... Um, feels pretty fleshed out at this point and i'm happy with mm-hmm. all three of those but these side characters just feel like they were just kind of thrown in at points yeah in, in this series i mean no no one got the the shorter end of the stick than sharon carter i think in this series yeah. <laughs> they talked so much about how they were doing right by her character in this one and she was prominent in one episode, and aside from that, she's just someone that Sam calls when when he needs episode, something. Once an episode, yeah, like hey. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I her her character turn in the Madripoor episode was very abrupt. I was hoping they would flesh that out a bit more, and they just have not. And I hope they don't try to do it in the, all in this last episode. Uh, I mean, she has some sinister things going on for sure. Unless you're right and she is the power broker, then that would make complete sense why they're trying to hide as much as possible from. Yeah, but also at the same time, I feel like they're just being so obvious about it at this point, too. Yeah. Where it's like, just tell us. Like, the power broker doesn't need to be some big mystery anymore, really. Like, I, I unless it is like a big reveal. If the, if the big reveal now is that it's Sharon, I feel like that's a little bit disappointing unless they do it right. Because they have to go more into what happened to her after civil war. And we have to mm-hmm. understand more about that other than her just being why she became and kicked. Yeah. Why she became the power broker. Yeah. Cause at this point, I mean, it, it's very much implied that she frees Batrock to go and kill Sam. And that mm-hmm. is a very, very big character turn for her mm-hmm. because I don't know what her beef is with Sam. Exactly. Is she just so into this power broker business that she knows he's going to mess something up? I, I don't know. Uh, something something's weird with her and they they really did not they really did not do enough with her in this series no to a second point i have uh, a problem with this episode i have a lot of good things to say about this one too oh and we'll uh, get to that yeah. yeah we'll get to those Let's get um, these but, out of the way <laughs> yeah but but to me this this whole episode just had very high highs and very low lows so it that's why it's all over the board for me uh, this one's a bit of a nitpick, but the fact there was a second boat building montage <laughs> just kind of came out of nowhere. Bucky wakes up on the couch and sees Sam's nephews playing with the shield, which I loved. But yeah. then he goes back out and they do another day of fits in the boat. Yeah. Which just felt and only for Sarah to come up and say, no, you can't do that anymore. I'm doing it. And then they walk away like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Like, like I feel like at points... I'm, I'm just watching the room where they they need characters to sit there and talk but they don't know what to do with them in yeah. that scene to me that just that felt so out of place and That's so fair. unnecessary yeah. and again with montages the first time we see sam and buddy throwing the shield around they have no problems with it whatsoever 
And then when Sam's second montage comes up, it's like he's never thrown it before. Yeah, I caught that too. I was wondering what was going on there because they, they were, I mean, they were pitching to each other off of the tree. I know. And then the second, and then the montage starts and Sam can't even throw it. And I was like, wait, weren't you just <laughs> chucking it? One other thing about that scene too, and this could be deliberate on their part, but they're very much talking as if Steve is dead. That's what it sounds right? like. But just confirm that if that's the case or <laughs> he's too big of a character to have died off screen <laughs> and to have gone like we've spent going on almost five hours with his two best friends and <laughs> they've never talked about whether he was dead any mention of a funeral they just said he's gone mm-hmm. so i i'm guessing it's very deliberate and there's, there's a reason they're keeping more of a mystery around it or not talking about it maybe it, it it what it feels like to me is they didn't know how they were going to end end game when they did possibly show. and they they just left it up in the air i don't know it's like they they knew he wouldn't be in the picture anymore but they didn't know if they were going to kill him off or just well i read i read an interview with spellman on the rainer last night actually and this was from uh bef- like this was talking about before production and he was saying that when he saw that uh Sam was given the shield that he knew where he wanted to take this show mm-hmm. of the whole idea of bringing race and discussions into it. And yep. what if, or what if a black man took the mantle, what would be the consequences of that? And, and how would they come into that role? And um, so he, it's been in plan since around end game or after end game yeah. of where they were taking the show. Um, yeah, but, true. But my, my other bid, gripe is with that scene in particular where they're tossing around the shield to each other and bucky just outright says steven i never considered the consequences of giving a black person the shield but just a few episodes ago he was upset as to why sam would give up the shield yeah almost outright saying why won't you tell me why you're why you won't accept it and it that 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 conversation in particular is very mixed for me because it has very good elements of it of where you see Bucky grows as a character and you see Sam Sam's art essentially end and basically say that I have come to realize that Sam's opinion doesn't matter Isaiah's opinion while it matters to me this is how I want to take it um so here here's I I read the Bucky thing completely differently because okay to me it was at the at the outset that was him not realizing what it meant for a black man to be handed a shield when he says, why didn't you do it? And he was mad at Sam for not doing it. And then, you know, by the time they get to the Isaiah Bradley thing, they get into the consequences of John Walker. At that point, Bucky is apologizing because he's saying, I did not. He said, I didn't know what that meant. Steve didn't know what that meant. Okay. Sorry for putting you in that position of being angry at you because I, I genuinely just did not understand. Okay. I, I get yeah. that. I, I, I didn't really think of it as a, not say not think of it as an apology, but yep. I didn't really, um, I don't know, just on the surface at first, it just felt very quick on a dime to say, Oh yeah, we never considered the, the consequences of doing this. Yeah. I um, think it was just, you know, yeah. Bucky's having a heart to heart as much as Bucky can have a heart to heart. Yeah. Like right. it, it's going to be quick and brief, I think with, with Bucky. Yeah. So he, he's basically saying, yeah, you know, un- until now, until, you know, it, which, you know, he didn't know about Isaiah Bradley, but at the same time, it's, it's Bucky admitting that 
you know, I, w- I was wrong to lash out at you because I just didn't understand the true consequences of, mm-hmm. you know, handing the shield to, to a black man and everything that you had to wrestle with and struggle with that led to Sam's initial decision to give up the shield. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are my main gripes with this episode. I think everything else was, was pretty good. All the Sam stuff throughout, I thought was great. Every, yeah. I mean, every scene, essentially almost every scene has Sam in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the stuff between him and Sarah is great. All the stuff between him and Bucky is great. And all the stuff between him and John is great too. Yeah. I mean, to kick off he and John, that initial scene where where John is in the immediate aftermath of his public, very public execution of a foreign agent, as Torres puts it later, <laughs> they they show up. John's wrestling with it. He's convinced himself that he killed the person who killed Lamar. Right. But you know he knows, Sam knows, Bucky knows it was Carly. Right. So I, and Sam, what's interesting is he kind of takes the same approach he did with Carly. Like he comes at John with compassion. He's like, just get, just lay low. You know, they'll consider your record. You need to get ahead of this. You need to you know, just give up. He he pulls the George Costanza and says, if, yeah. if you believe it, it's not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> he yep. fully believes he's doing right. Right. But, um, but I, I kind of start to feel I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here past the, the first uh, fight scene but mm-hmm. i start to actually feel some compassion for him at a point in this well yeah i mean we, we let's let's let's, put a let's pin table in that, that because let's i in the, in the courtroom scene i have i have some thoughts about that yeah um but with this fight you know seeing sam approach him with compassion and try to talk him down at first mm-hmm. and then when they ask for the shield walker immediately becomes defensive and he's like oh that's why you want to you just want the shield back like you don't mm-hmm. you don't actually he's like you almost had me there Ugh, it's a great start to the fight he's when he says you don't want to do this and Bucky's like yeah we do <laughs> oh so good <laughs> confining falcon to fight in a warehouse is such a neat idea, idea. yeah because they played with that really well like he can't really go anywhere mm-hmm. but he still used his wings in a way that was really neat well, what I find fascinating, I sent you a a, a meme earlier. It was uh, a comparison of of Steve and John, mm-hmm. and the, the quotes every time were uh, that every time Steve was introducing himself, it's "I'm Steve Rogers," and then every time John Walker introduces himself, it's "Hi, I'm John Walker, comma Captain America." Yep. But he he truly believes he is Captain America. Oh yeah. And He's... so for so for Sam to just come out and say, "Well, we'll take the shield." Yep. Just trust us with this like he doesn't want to give that up because he to to him the symbol of captain america is literally that shield yep like whoever holds that is captain america yeah he doesn't he he doesn't fully understand that there's a lot more to it than just yep than just the serum and the shield than serum and the shield and ironically he's using his shield as a weapon yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. That, that fight is just brutal all around and it almost reminded me of the fights in the netflix series like everyone's getting bloody all the punches mm-hmm. have so much weight to them john has sam down and almost kills him before bucky intervenes and and going back to the shield they have to literally break his arm to get the shield off of him and then oh. deliver the knockout blow i i felt that in my wrist when yeah when they broke his arm oh that was really hard to watch yeah it was and then to jump to the aftermath of this scene with John, him in that courtroom, I thought was very powerful because mm-hmm. 
you know, he wasn't completely wrong in everything he said in that courtroom. No. He's like, you made me. He said, I did what you told me to do, and I did it well. And I was like, wow. Like, he's not wrong. And you and I talked about the idea that he could potentially, the government could just forgive him, say, you know, he had a bad day, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's, he killed a terrorist. He, could, he couldn't because he killed a foreign agent. Right. Unsanctioned. And I get that now, like looking at yeah. it with that lens. They they their hands were tied and they they gave him basically they handed him financial ruin and that's it, right? Like mm-hmm. less than honorable discharge. But when it was an other than honorable discharge, which is right. the which is the most severe discharge that a soldier can receive. Even above dishonorable discharge? Yeah. Is that the same Th- thing? That's basically the same thing. Oh, okay. I thought I didn't know if the terminology meant it was actually I, I had to look I had to look it up before yep. we started. Apologies. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, they didn't court martial him or anything, so it, he didn't have that aspect of it, but he's not wrong. I mean, this is, they, oh, right. they chose this, a soldier, they knew the serum amplified aspects of your personality and he's like, well, well, they didn't give him the serum. I'm sorry. I apologize. He, he did that to himself at that, that point, but, but they did put him in situations where he was meant to be a super, an actual super a, soldier a soldier. Right. Yeah. If they had the serum, they would have given it to him. Oh, easily. Put it that way, for sure. Yeah. So uh, he's just, it, it was very poignant. And I thought it was a really well done scene when he's like, I did what you told me to do. I was what you wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. I was the Captain America you wanted me to be. Right. And I was like, wow. I mean, he's not wrong. And this he's only, again, crazy, but- <laughs> this only, again, proves exactly what Steve was saying in Civil War, where governments have agendas. Yeah. When they change, I cannot always represent what their agenda is because that is not me. Exactly. So I, I just love that they're extending his argument out even further past the Civil War. Yeah. And it, this really does act as a true sequel to the other three, to the Captain America trilogy. Yeah. It's this an would, epilogue. Essentially, this would, like. this, this would be a great cap four. Yeah. If this were to be made into like a, maybe a two and a half hour or three hour movie. Right. Yeah, that I ooh, that gives me chills to think about. Like, I, I like that you pointed that out. That's that's it. Really, is so true. Yeah, I mean, just taking that argument and extrapolating into everything that John Walker is, mm-hmm. what the government wanted Cap to be under them with the mm-hmm. Sokovia Accords. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I get. I guess while we're talking on that scene, um, you know, immediately following is. The cameo that we all called last week, Julia Louise Dreyfus, right? Yep, definitely. I think, I think roll the clip. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I, I, I think the the people we had discussed were Chris Evans, um, William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross, or Chadwick Boseman, right? So, yeah. I mean, wrong on all three counts for sure. <laughs> I, I don't think. I hadn't seen Julia Louise Dreyfus as Madame Hydra as no. a, as a possibility. So that well, she's she's kept that under wraps for over a year now. Oh yeah. So that so sure. So her as Madame Hydra was supposed to appear in Black Widow last year. Mm-hmm. Now now let's uh, well, let's back up a little reading, bit. But... So yeah, we'll we'll back up. Um, so in the next scene, John Walker is talking to his wife. They're talking about what he should do next. And out of nowhere, Julia Louise Dreyfus shows up playing Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. And this character in the comics has had a bunch of different aliases. 
worked with many different organizations. He's mm. very similar to Nick Fury and even like dated him, I think, mm-hmm. in the comics. Yeah. Um, but she's worked with S.H.I.E.L.D. She's worked with HYDRA. She's worked with a group called Leviathan, which is kind of a terrorist group that actually showed up in Agent Carter. They were pretty prominent there trying to steal some of Howard Stark's tech. So I almost okay. wonder if they're going to bring that organization back in instead of going the HYDRA route. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't always been Madam Hydra and other people hold, held that title too. So I, I don't, I kind of am thinking they're not going to bring Hydra back, but I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, I kind of hope they don't. <laughs> I, we, I don't either. I, we've, they, we've seen that played out so many times at this point that yeah. it, they have to do something a little different to, to spice it up. I think so too. That's kind of the route. I think they're going to go with it is either or else a, it's just a new become... organization with new goals or else it's just going to become lazy of, oh, no, Hydra's back. Oh, no, Hydra's still around. Like, yeah. cut off one head, two more appear. Like, how many more heads do we have to cut off before this thing just disappears? Yeah, that's what Even I thought. Hercules was, was able to take him take <laughs> yeah. him out. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did it to death as well. And that's, like, you know, debatably canon in the MCU. But, yeah. man, they spent, they spent six to seven seasons with Hydra and the ins and outs of Hydra. And Hydra's always been very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. A one-dimensional villain. Um, you know, they are bad guys. And that's kind of not the villain that the MCU has gone for in recent films and right. series. Like, they don't... I mean, I guess you could sort of make the argument, spoilers for WandaVision, for, for Agatha. But um, she even had some more depth than Hydra yeah. has had in the past. Like, Red Skull was just, you know, an evil Nazi leader. And how do you humanize Nazis? You don't. So, right but i feel like we're done with those and we don't need to we need we don't need to do that there are more there are better ways to write more complex villains so I, i'd like to see them go that route with with her she was very i, I will say she was very much like a comic book villain in this scene mm-hmm. she did not really fit with the tone of no the scene before it but i think that's intentional at the same time I just need to see more of her. I, I think Julia Louise Dreyfus is going to have a lot of fun with it, and that role is going to be and really from, fun to watch. From what I've read, uh, when uh, who was it? It was Tony Hale and somebody else from Veep were both talking about when she was cast for that. She's known about this for years, but has had to keep it under wraps for mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, but they said that when she found out, she was really excited on set of Veep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So maybe we'll get a Tony Hill appearance at some point in the near future. Buster Blue's coming back in. Stay tuned for our Reed Richards casting. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Buster Blue, this Reed Richards. I am really excited to see what they do with this character. Uh, I'm curious, though, if I can project or if I can uh, speculate here for a minute, if they make if they make her kind of the organizing force of the Thunderbolts, maybe. I could see that. I could see that. I, I had that thought as well like if she's either working with ross or maybe the thunderbolts just operate completely independent from ross or they or they Mm -hmm. don't even use the thunderbolts name and go with like something like dark avengers or i I don't know but that that could be i i definitely see her playing sort of an evil nick fury type role Mm -hmm. i wouldn't be surprised at all if she shows up in secret invasion as well that seems like a very natural place or, I mean, we do know her next confirmed appearance. Uh, you started to talk about it, but we, we put a pin in it if you want to. Yeah, so after this, after she appeared in Fountain of the Winter Soldier, uh, outlets started reporting that she was supposed to be in Black Widow, um, presumably to try and recruit Yelena. 
either Elena or Taskmaster. Yeah, to uh, whatever organization it is she's looking for, or she's trying to mm-hmm. put together. You're saying, or you're saying she'd be like the Fury of uh, the Thunderbolts, but maybe the, I don't the, I, the, I mean, I'm just saying the way I see it is if if Thunderbolt Ross is trying to put a Thunderbolts team together, she'd kind of be like the Coulson of okay Thunderbolts in this case. That. That'd be mm-hmm. that'd be kind of entertaining. Yeah, to have uh, Clark Wright and Julie Louise Dreyfus kind of mirror each other. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, because he played that he played that role as well, mm-hmm. and I. I I definitely could see it. I, I almost wonder if her role in Black Widow is a little more substantial where they kind of maybe show her in the Black Widow program. Like maybe mm-hmm. she went through that program and actually was a Black Widow. I don't know if they're all called Black Widows, but maybe she went through that Red Room program as well. But one thing we know is there's going to be layers to this character because in the comics was a double agent. She was a triple <laughs> agent, a sleeper cell agent. So, I mean, like her, her entire thing. She was a scrawl. It's hard to read her like witty page. This is interesting. She her her scrawl the death of her scrawl is actually what kicked off secret invasion in the comics so that's what keyed nick fury in to know that like they've infiltrated yeah because she died and it turned out she was a scrawl so i I don't think they'll do that with this but i do think she could show up in secret invasion especially if they you know start to prime her as like a foil to a fury or colson Mm mm-hmm that seems like a very natural place. I'm I'm curious though, just to go on a bit of a tangent. Uh, how much longer do you think Sam Jackson has in this role? He's getting up there in age. I think he'll play till he retires from acting. Like it's you think not, so. Yeah, I think he has a lot of fun with it. Like even with yeah. like look what he did with Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, he has. You can tell he has fun with it, but I mean, just he's getting up there in age, and he's mm-hmm. going to be leading a, a a whole series here pretty soon yeah that I, I i just don't know i think they're putting too many eggs in one basket with him at this point in his career i mean the man's in his early to mid 70s i mean it's it's pretty apparent in captain marvel the way he runs he's an he's a man in his yeah 70s. <laughs> yeah yeah he did um, like a, a man in his what 30s or 40s in that movie for sure yeah. <laughs> they can't fool us with the, the aging technology <laughs> in that sense yet um but i don't know i just it's just something to think about that mm-hmm. if they're if they're gonna bring um madame hydra in and yeah. maybe maybe make her a, maybe not a love interest to fury like in the comments but um maybe make her a foil to fury how much longer fury's going to be around mm-hmm. yeah i could i could see them killing the fury character off um i'm not in secret invasion because if they do that it would be in a film i think yeah and then to make it stick, <laughs> unlike the Winter Soldier when he died and came back a half hour later. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I definitely want to see Contessa and Fury on screen together at some point because that just sounds like those two actors with how like hammy their characters are yeah. would be a lot of fun. I guess that's how I would describe her character in this episode was just hammy. She mm-hmm. chewed the lines. She apart. did. Yeah, she's she she's definitely having fun with it. Yeah. Yep. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. That was incredibly unexpected, and it's exciting to know that they can keep stuff like that under wraps for so long. Mm-hmm. It makes you just kind of wonder what what they have up their sleeve for the future. Maybe Jerry Seinfeld will be cast as Reed oh, no. Richards. <laughs> Don't spoil my list again. <laughs> 
had Jason Alexander number one. <laughs> Jason Alexander will be Ben Grimm. I had I had Jerry Seinfeld number one, Tony <laughs> Hale number two, and Mike Richards number three. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means that means we have to bring Mike Richards back into. We have to let him back in. What's the deal with Lavaria? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> So anyway, she gives she gives John this little black and white card. It doesn't have anything on it. I yeah. I, I didn't really I didn't really know what to take with that. It's like a scratch. I, I would like imagine a, there'll be a secret message on it. It's like a scratch and sniff where like one side's I I don't know. I think it was I think it was a power move. Like I'll contact you when I yeah. want to find you. You're not going to contact me. You won't find me. Yeah. Uh, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of secret message on it. Yeah. Um, I think we only get two more Walker scenes after that, so we could hit those. Yeah. Um, we next see Walker when he visits Lamar's parents, um, and lies to them like he lies to himself that he got Lamar's killer. Um, they seem happy. His sister, Lamar's sister, seems a little abrasive towards John. I think a little bit. She gave him some looks. She can. I think she can see right through him. I think so too. That's how yeah, I took I, that. Yeah. That she, I, she knows that he, he knows something or at yeah. least is lying to himself about what really happened. Right. Yeah. That, that scene was hard to watch with Lamar's parents. And you can tell that really got to John and probably what led to what we see in the post credit scene. She talks about how proud Lamar was to serve with John as Captain America and mm-hmm. proud to serve with him on their tours of duty. And that was a little boy. That's very sad. Cause they, I mean, the, the entire series, they never really, projected john's qualities onto lamar like he always seemed to have his head on straight a little more than john has yeah so to see to see his parents reacting to that was hard and then john just lying to them and just at the same time trying to convince himself was pretty pretty brutal so we mentioned that post credit scene john kind of doing a uh Hobby Lobby craft shield and his, <laughs> his I can't wait parents basement or something. I, don't know. I can't wait for that thing looks like crap. Like it's gonna look horrible. <laughs> I can't wait to see it next week. And it's just pieces of tin, really. Yeah, but no, it's, it's gonna be this tin shield going up against vibranium. <laughs> we won't see it, but like I really hope that they you know, you get the cliche of the weapons clashing, but you, you, Sam throws his shield and John throws his, and Sam just doesn't even, it's like it wasn't even there. It just obliterates it and <laughs> continues on its straight path through. But I, I'm just wondering about that. Like, is he, is he just, is that just meant to show that he's so deluded that he's just making like a tin shield, like basically out of like a garbage can lid? I don't understand. I, I think, I think thinking about that, I think you're right. He is very diluted to the point where he truly believes he is Captain America because a, yeah, because of his record, b the government has, and the government and military has basically told him he's Captain America, given him all of the perks of it up to this point, mm-hmm. and he's he he's ta- he has taken the serum at this point too. So he genuinely believes he is Captain America. As you and I said with the opening fight scene, he believes it is literally the serum and the shield and that's all you need. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realize that there are psychological factors that go into that as well, that it is healthy to question what you're doing for someone else in the service of someone else. Yeah. Um, 
he he doesn't truly understand what Steve understood of um of being a, a public servant. Yeah. He's he's a soldier, he's not a public servant. There's there is a difference between the two. Right. Um so I think the fact that he is so diluted to the point where he truly believes he's Captain America. He d- he also doesn't understand what he probably doesn't understand what vibranium is. He probably just believes it's a that's a metal shield that anybody can make. I mean, we, we saw him against Dora Milaje last week where they just wrecked him because they know how their weapons work. They know what yeah. vibranium is. Yep. And I don't think that he has put those he can put those pieces together of they understand what that technology is. Yeah, that could be. I don't, I don't, there's something different with this shield that I don't understand what it is. I'm going to make my own then. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, I, I think it's less him not understanding what vibranium is and more like he's just so like broken to the point of like, uh, if I can't get it back, I'm just going to make my own, even knowing yeah. it's going to be far inferior. And he's like, just, he doesn't so realize how focused. I, I don't think he. I, th- I think what I'm getting at is I don't think he truly realizes how much of a difference there is between a homemade one that he can make yeah. in his in his garage, and one that was made out of the strongest and rarest metal <laughs> yeah. on earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> Built by Howard Stark. Mm-hmm. It was neat to see him like embedding his medals in it too. Yeah, just to that goes to show like he's so egotistical and like i am captain america these medals are what made me captain america these medals are why that was chosen for captain america and mm-hmm. he's right and i think he's going to use that as a way to you know it's on the nose but i think that's what he's going for is like these medals made me captain america so i'm making my captain america shield out of these medals mm-hmm. i it, it's it's very hard not to think of homelander during a lot yeah. of this yeah because the whole idea of I am the greatest in the world and I am the strongest and I, right. I oversee all of you. I'm yeah. more powerful than all of you. It's, it's very hard not to pull those two characters, both John Walker yeah. and Homelander apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely get those same kind of feelings and undertones to John Walker's character. Mm-hmm. Not deranged to the point that Homelander is yet, but... <laughs> But um, but John Walker is he's definitely on that path, and if he continues to get mixed up with Contessa, I feel like he's gonna go into more of a typical villain route. Mm-hmm. I I I wonder if we see him in this next episode. In a, like, does he show up in that fight in New York, or is that is that meant to be more of a tease for something further down the line? I I, I think... feel like his his story is a bit wrapped for this show, right? It is, but I, I don't know. Part part of me thinks somehow he's going to wind up in New York. Yeah, next I week, and I think part of it might be to to kill Sam. Yeah, to take out Sam and Bucky for what they did to him in uh, I almost said Latveria in uh, Latvia. Yep. Um, but and because they essentially disgraced him he disgraced himself but he sees it as they disgraced him captain america um but i i feel like we are going to see him one more time this season yeah i think the last the last kind of like period on his arc for this show or maybe this is more of an exclamation point would be 
you know, very publicly being defeated by Sam, mm-hmm. right? Like in a battle. Yeah, the the, gov- I, I, the government's chosen Captain America versus yeah. a self-appointed one who actually deserves it and understands what the role means yeah. against somebody who's handpicked based on his merits. Yeah, and that'll, that'll serve a purpose for Sam and John's arcs. Yeah. For John, it's going to be the final, like, straw that truly breaks him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, this is probably where he ditches the Captain America mantle and picks up the U.S. agent or what, whatever he ends up going by. Maybe he just continues to delude himself into thinking he's Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I feel like you get the feeling Sam has to defeat him one-on-one in public. Mm-hmm. right like sam and bucky did it which is good but it was in a warehouse no one saw it and bucky helped you feel like sam has to do this for his care he shouldn't have to you almost feel like the show <laughs> has them on such a collision path that that he's gonna have to to at, at this point finally it, break john right at this point it's almost inevitable an, an inevitable i can't say words yeah, no, it's fine. almost an inevitability that they mm-hmm. that they're on a collision course for each other yeah that i I did find it interesting though i don't know if you picked up on this or i'm just reading too much into it uh during the post or during the credits when the screen went black you could hear a, a hammer clanging and almost sounded like yeah. tony in the cave that, yeah and at the end of endgame as well that uh, like oh we're we have an origin here <laughs> john walker built this in his mother's basement <laughs> with a garbage can lid <laughs> we got some more flag smashers in this episode we did i i don't know they're they're not they're not giving them anything to do they're not at this point that's the big my biggest issue of the series like i I, it sucks they shortchanged sharon but Mm -hmm. they they're really like messing up the flag smash not messing up but they're just not giving them as much like there's a there's a, a incredibly appealing villain in there and there's yeah. an, a, a great idea and a great theme and, and thing to explore with this this movement where it's everyday people contributing but we've only seen this core group of like five of them mm-hmm. and then they show up at the you know the the biggest thing that happens this episode with them is they show up at the park bench and carly calls just puts out a call on the cell phone and calls just 15 to 30 like joe schmoes over to her like just people right. that were, were right there and just having picnics in the park and they all come over to her i i just it, it's weird there's a really cool idea there of having all of these normal people participating in this movement but they're not talking about the movement so much because they're not exploring what the grc did to displace these people and yeah that i don't know you're right the, the what's tough is i relating something to what i've been what i've been watching uh on hbo i started watching um that q a non-documentary mm, uh into yeah. the rabbit hole i think yeah. it's called it's absolutely fantastic yeah i'll um, have to check that one out it's really good but it's <laughs> the those the guys that made 8chan are so weird and so <laughs> bizarre and so out there that it's hard to believe that any of these guys or anything like the riot on january 6th actually happened yeah but it's hard to watch this show in the shadow of january 6th and (laughs) and think that that this idea of a collective group of strangers coming together to overthrow a (laughs) uh, some sort of governmental entity wasn't explored more 
Yeah. But at the same time, think, it's, it's almost as if reality is better than the fiction that's being written. Exactly. And I feel like our current events lead this to being a more interesting idea on the surface than it might actually have been beforehand. Like, I think I want to see more in it because of the parallels with real life, I think. And it's Mm -hmm. like, this is an interesting thing that you could explore. And, you know, as we've seen with uh, the Q movement and, and all of the, um, you know, ideologies that are on online that led to the, the January 6th coup attempt, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, everything that led to that, is so complex and they i feel like with this group they took all of the complexity out of it and it's very one note and very just boring i mean Car- yeah. carly we talked about last week how carly when she killed lamar like looked to have this huge regret on her face mm-hmm. and then they didn't explore that like she had shock on her face and they didn't explore that in this episode they just used that as her she almost doubles down on on she does, what she on her beliefs for sure. Well, they talk. I think Sam and Bucky even have that conversation. And Zemo talks about it. Zemo said, does. Yeah. yeah, he said she she has become fully extreme. That there is mm-hmm. no other way but to kill her at this point. Yep. Sam doesn't want to admit it because he sees something. He sees something in her, but it's gone. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she does double down because she says that they are they've lost too many people to this point. But, you know, with it being a movement, you shouldn't be that concerned about what you lost. Like, you know, you're going to lose things when you're you're going on that movement. But mm-hmm. she she says it's time to do basically the big one. One last job. Pretty <laughs> so much. To say. <laughs> like, and to take out the GRC, which I, I saw one of the major criticisms of the show is that we haven't seen much of the GRC. But I don't think we really need to see them. I, I've always just... Uh, what we got in this episode is exactly what I pictured where it's a bunch of politicians sitting in a, in a giant room talking about where to move people or where exactly where it's strategically to place them or how we're going to quote help them. Yeah. And I don't think we necessarily needed that. It was just kind of always implied of where, um, of how these people operated. I I did find it interesting that, um, that there are flat smashers in the room. Yeah, like the security detail and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's what's what's even weirder is watching that you uh watching that you and on documentary. Uh they they keep bringing up that the the famous phrase of uh, was it where we go one we go all which when I keep hearing the um it's weird cuz I keep hearing the one world one people line and I can't help it make that connection as well it's almost as if they had all of these connections from the from the flat smashers to conspiracy theory groups yeah and they just as you said they took the complexity out out of it and made it a very bare bones organization yeah and i I think i can kind of forgive them for it because i feel like a lot of the complexities didn't really come to light until recently in the real world version of that yeah so I think it would have been hard for us to relate to the complexities in this show. That's that's true. And that's fair. Whereas now it's like, there are glaring omissions, I think. And then like, how do these people get radicalized? That type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Torres did mention at one point they're on all platforms or something. I have issues with the flag smashers and it's more with the way that they, the lack of fleshing out of their movement. Mm -hmm. They, they've never said what they would do differently than the GRC now. Right. They just talk about 
how everything was good during the blip when everything's open borders and the world came together. Well, the, to me, it's like the world cannot operate after the blip like it did during the blip in the same exact way. No, like it's, it, it's, it's apples going to the the act of bringing back half of the people on the planet is going to cause displacement of others. Mm-hmm. And like, there's there was no there was no really good way to solve that. Now, I would argue that when Bruce Banner made his magic wish and snapped his fingers <laughs> that he should have wished that no one would get displaced because of this. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I just I just wonder how many nuances that a snap uh, you, you can, can really put into. I don't know. Well, Maybe. I'd like to bring every, everybody back and everything goes back to the exact same way it was before this all started. But also not back into time to like, it, yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs> I, there was no good way for any governing body to do it. And, you know, even if the flag smashers were in charge, I think they would do things that would still displace people. It's just inevitable. Yeah. It is. It's inevitable. inevitable. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, it's a weird thing. And, you know, you, you had talked about your theory about the, there being some sort of pandemic related to this um, in the show that they removed to, you know, not make it, insensitive to COVID-19 but I yeah I just I've had problems with the flag smashers up until this point and I don't think there's any going back on them them, yeah they're making them the just they're very it's hard it's also hard to just understand Carly they're trying really hard to humanize her but I mean she is just murdering people like yeah I I can't She's a full-blown terrorist. She is pretty much a full-blown terrorist at this point. Right. And I get that they want to humanize her, and I get that that they want to make it a more nuanced approach to this type of character. And I I really like that. But when when in the prior week, you have her show a little regret for something she just did, for murdering somebody in person for the first time that we know Mm -hmm. of. And then the next we don't. No, we're taking them all out. It doesn't matter anymore. There's there's a leap in logic there that uh, oh you need. A, they needed another quiet the, conversation with Carly and someone else where she reflected on you know the the are we the baddies meme. <laughs> pretty that. much, she needed that conversation to herself and someone else. Yeah, there's uh, there's a leap in logic there that I haven't seen since the final season of Game of Thrones. Oh no. <laughs> I mean it it's there. Yeah. You can't you can't deny that there's a parallel between Daenerys and Carly at this point. <laughs> to an extent. Like Yeah. I mean, I wanted to bring this up at the beginning of the episode as the intro, but then found the Spoilers whole Spoilers for Game, for of, Game of Thrones. <laughs> but found the whole hey jealousy thing was a little more um fitting. Uh but it's been ten years since Game of Thrones started. Mm-hmm. And uh, that the whole show was character driven up until about five, six, seven, and eight. And then at eight, like all character development was just thrown <laughs> yeah. out the window. Yep. And I feel, unfortunately, I feel like we're getting that here with Carly as well, where she's developed in the first two to three episodes. And then and even last week, and then this one, it's just thrown out the window because they need, they need to create a battle at the end of some sort, another battle of New York for yeah. for an action scene and I, I i hate giving up character development for major action scenes like that mm-hmm. um but it's i don't know i'm it, it frustrates me because I, yeah. I mean like you said she has they have a lot of great potential with her and i feel like she's just been kind of 
been all over the place. Yeah. My my hope is that she survives so that they they can do a little bit more to expand on the potential of her character and of her movement and storylines, but I I think we're too late at this point. Mm-hmm. She's like, I mean, she is I feel too far gone. Mm-hmm. Um there there would be too much legwork to and too much exposition to do this in the last episode. They they needed they needed an episode where they could spend time with Carly and make mm-hmm. her kind of the focus of an episode. You know, we we got that. I felt like we got that with John. Like his character development seemed to have been great. Nothing was out of the blue. Nothing was abrupt. You saw mm-hmm. in his early pre-serum episodes his kind of um, unsteadiness. I guess like he he just seemed a little loose, <laughs> right? Which just got amplified with the serum. So that all all made sense with with Carly. It it just is. Uh, it's just weird. It's yeah, just, just been weird. It it's like they they. Well, what's two complex what, villains in john walker and carly they spent a ton of time with john walker and fleshing out his character and his motive and you know everything about him with carly they struggled because they had to flesh out this entire movement mm-hmm. and that's really hard to do but at that point wh- what is what is this movement providing to the overall series i don't really, i don't really well, see that thinking about it since you just mentioned john and carly if you think about it they're both radicals in one in yeah in the sense they've completely radicalized john to 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 the extent that he doesn't know who he truly is carly on the other hand knows who she is but we haven't i feel like we haven't seen that side of it that clearly mm-hmm. we've gotten snippets here and there oh i was a teacher uh before the blip happened but i've wanted to help people since we don't truly know her relationship with mama donya mm-hmm. we just know she was a motherly or a sisterly figure to carly yeah so we don't know true we don't truly know why she is grieving over this character dying mm-hmm. that we don't know um unless in the finale we get a flashback of some sort that kind of like covers all the bases yeah i i would be very interested to see the like screen time breakdown for each character because they mm-hmm. they definitely did not spend as much time with carly as they needed to mm-hmm and this, you know that it, if you do that, you don't spend as much time with John, probably. So it's it's a give and take. Uh, I just think they there's a lot of moving parts in this series, and you get why they have to be there. But like you said, I, I think you know one more episode, one more hour, maybe would have been might have enough. Done the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's an under underdeveloped character, and now let's let's hit on some of the. The over, not overdeveloped characters, but the, the heavily, <laughs> the perfect, heavily the per- developed characters. The perfectly developed characters. Yeah. So, I mean, Sam, man. It's his show. What what an episode. What an arc for him in this, in yeah. this one. I mean, so after that fight with Walker, he has that conversation with Torres. And I really like the line from Torres when he's like, there's nothing to do until there's something to do sometimes. <laughs> And John's like, that's what do you say? That's suspiciously wise or something. Yeah. Something like that. Which is pretty good. Um, in this scene also, Torres, Sam tells Torres to keep the Falcon wings. So that so, seems to me like a, a hint that he's gonna have Falcon wings. Mm-hmm. Falcon. Do you think he'll he'll show up in the next one as as the new Falcon? No. I okay. think that's down the line. Like either okay. if they if they do either a sequel to this series as a series or as a film, 
or something like that. That'll be the place for that. Well, just as we were recording this, I hate to get into speculation from mm-hmm. some sites, but just as we were recording this, I saw there is talk of a season two in the works. Oh, really? Possibly. Interesting. That's from comicbook.com, one of yeah. those sites. So it's it's always up in the air. If I that's think comicbook.com is usually pretty pretty good relative yeah, to some of the but other they're, sites. They're not, there's a potential for a season two. Interesting. Yeah, I think Torres would come to play in that in that sense. You know, there's mm-hmm. still I guess you know, time has passed. He could have fixed the wings, I don't know. But yeah, that's just an interesting little little hint, I think, towards Torres becoming Falcon. Yeah. Which is cool. I like that character. I thought he was I thought he was pretty good in the series for what they had him do. I want to yeah. see more of him. So that's I mean that's all you can expect out of the characters that show up here, like, you know, drop in. If they're good enough, you want to see more, then cool. Right. So, yeah, and Sam he goes to Isaiah. And this is the heaviest scene of the series for sure. And they talked about one being a tearjerker. And this, this, this was it. hard. We, we talked about, you know, the race issues that they're addressing with the series. And you and I both were like, if they're going to do this, they need to do it. Like, yeah. You can't skirt around it. You can't imply things. And the big thing they have been implying to this point was, you know, the fact that the, the government, the people in charge, the, the suits would never let a black man be Captain America. Mm-hmm. and you know we it's been an undercurrent of the show and it's like very obvious that's what they're trying to say but no one has outright said it until isaiah did and just the look in his eyes when he said that after going through his entire story you know which i mean we should break down that entire story because it was heartbreaking interesting thing about isaiah's story is he basically was jailed because he tried to or he did rescue people that he did exactly what Steve did. Yes, exactly. Exactly what Steve did in the first Captain America. Yes. He, he disobeyed orders, went and broke other suit. They were other super soldiers, weren't they? They weren't even just yeah, yep. Just infantry. They were other super soldiers that were being experimented on. Broke them out and brought them back to the camp. And that's what he was arrested for. And imprisoned for 30 years. Yeah. Because of that and experimented and ex- on because yep. of it. Because they wanted to see why it was successful on him. Yeah. It was my goodness. Just they they never did those experiments with Steve. They no. never dug up his body out of the crash site. Mm-mm. I guess that's kind of a plot hole for Steve's whole thing. Like, how did no one find him before that? Before like 2012. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, they it mirrors exactly what Steve did in the first Avenger, and Isaiah was imprisoned for it. And they, he only did it because he heard that they were going to just bomb the camp and let all his men die. Right. And he said, no, I couldn't do that. Those were my men. Like they were my men, like they were experiments, but you know, they were my, they were still my men. Yeah. I was still in charge of them. Yeah. My goodness. And he's obviously cynical for very, very good reasons. Oh yeah. And his logic makes complete sense. I, 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 you can't fault him for, feeling the way he does about that she- yep. for, uh, for the way he feels about the shield and about the mantle of captain america as it is telling sam the government will never let a black man be captain america mm-hmm. and i don't think he believes the people would either yeah that too he he did say yep. the people didn't he i so, don't remember if he said it explicitly but i i kind of read it as like the the government would never hand the mantle down but the people also would never accept it yeah something along those lines that, that mm-hmm. that's pretty much what he's getting at and I mean, Sam's logic made sense too. That Isaiah sees it that way. I don't disagree with him, but what's the? It's a waste of his life if I don't take this on. 
Yeah, exactly. Essentially. It's a waste yeah. of all the pain and suffering if I don't try and change mm-hmm. that that symbol. Yeah, exactly. And he has the chance to, as the, the person who was handpicked by Steve, to actually define that symbol, like you said. Like, he, he can make it mean something to people like him to black people and not not to put a cap on it yet but the past is gone but something (laughs) might be found to take its place exactly that sums it up very well yeah hey jealousy but that sums it up very well john walker very well too hey jealousy (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much uh but i mean (laughs) carly and carly also is summed up by that song too if i could say um if you don't expect too much from me you might not be let down (laughs) (laughs) god (laughs) But but I mean, to to the point of that quote that Isaiah's time in the spotlight's gone, he wants to just be dead to the world. He doesn't mm-hmm. want the recognition at this point. And to, we don't know for certain, but it's implied that Steve is dead. But yep. Steve's role as Captain America is dead at this point. He yep. lives on memories of people. So, I mean, the past is literally gone. It Now mm-hmm. Sam can come in and like, reprise the role and give it a fresh look and a fresh take and actually represent what the role means it's not the government defining the role it's the individual as we've talked about for the past two or three weeks this is the the final realization that he has come to yep and it only adds to what he tells bucky we can get into that in a second we can come back to isaiah bradley in a second but to his point to bucky that doesn't matter what steve thinks doesn't matter what isaiah thinks yep you are who you are Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's best to go make amends and make people feel the best way possible Mm -hmm. as opposed to just running through the numbers and apologizing making them feel good yeah and taking on the role taking on the role of captain america and showing people what good actually is yep and as sam like says to sarah later his sister he's not saying isaiah is wrong right because he knows isaiah is 100 right yeah but he's knows he has an opportunity in front of him to not let that shield be tainted and you know that's why they took it from john walker because he was literally tainting the shield i think we mm-hmm. said that last week but he he has a chance to redefine this symbol make it stand for all the things that steve made it stand for but also make it for stand for the things that it hasn't stand stood for in the past and things that it's left out in the past right like and you know make amends to isaiah in that way even if isaiah thinks he's a fool for doing it yeah you know and what was heartbreaking was isaiah was like i i don't want that shield i don't want people to even know my name because i know if they do they'll come do you think they'll let me be alive like they would yeah come and take me out right that's so like oh man it was just a heavy scene they dove headfirst into it and mm, just unbelievable what they did with isaiah bradley in this series that really was the heart of the show right there that yeah. scene between oh, those sure. two 100 i think i texted you um after watching it that you know as i've been going i've i have my my mcu ranking list and i've had this in there and just you know as episodes come out i've been moving it like where i think it should go <laughs> and i have such a hard time because this this central theme and this scene and the way they address this is so good mm-hmm <laughs> But then they're like the weak parts of the fly smashers are just bring it down so far that I don't think it brings it down that far, but it's no, like but down enough to be like, man, they're like nailing so much of this. But then this like there's just this whole like other piece that is kind of lacking. And yeah. th- that 
happens because you don't you can't take time from one thing to give to the other. I mean, it it just God, what they're what they did with Isaiah in this scene is so heartbreaking and good television. It, it makes is. you feel something. Yeah. It, <laughs> Big it, time. It really does. So you can I mean, based on that conversation, you can see where Isaiah is coming from and you can also see why Sam has to take the mantle. Mm-hmm. Right. So to, to him there is no other option. Mm-hmm. Which is it's it is funny that we see that happen via montage, but there are multiple <laughs> montages in this episode. They um back in Louisiana there's the I thought the scene of them initially fixing the boat when Bucky shows up out of nowhere and gives Sam the box, which was cool. Yeah. But to see Sam call in all the favors to show like that, you know, their their family always helped people out and he was mm-hmm. kind of calling in favors on that. I thought that was really cool. A good way to give more insight into who Sam is. Well, I, I, this is interesting. Um, Sam in the comments is from Harlem originally. Hmm, Anthony, Anthony Mackey is from that area of Louisiana. Oh, really? Yeah. So that they, they decided to write in parts of Mackey's real life into. That's cool. And he's, he's a well-known fisherman as well. Really? Uh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, that, That's I, really I got a lot from that Hot Ones interview I mentioned a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. They, they talk about him being from uh, from the Big Easy a lot uh-huh. in it. That's neat. But yeah, I thought it, thought it was interesting to um, to actually like put a little twist on Sam's story. Yeah, which is good because we've seen so much of New York <laughs> yeah. in these movies. It's good to to get like somewhere with like Louisiana. <laughs> mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect to see that in, in something like this. So the, the boat scenes were all good. It was funny to see Bucky like almost flirting with Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. Sebastian Stan's really funny. He is. And it was good to see them just start to bond, you know, for the first time and not be so abrasive to each other. I kind of wanted an, an extreme makeover version with those two now. Yeah. <laughs> Sam just, or Bucky just made were rip piece, sheets of metal off of that, that boat funny. with his arm. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it was pretty entertaining to watch the two of them work. And then the second montage, again, I just, I don't understand why it was there. They ended up why working, they had to do another one. Yeah. Why they ended up working on another part of the boat. And then Sarah comes in and says, well. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't think of any, like, super meaningful conversations they had no during that montage or anything like that no, it was so. bucky waking up and then going back out yeah yeah i like it to to hit on that scene too with his nephews playing with the shield and just to hear it like as they're throwing it around it's still making the like whoosh, whoosh <laughs> sound but i thought that was neat but they i bucky smiling there was great because he you know he knows what that shield means mm-hmm. to him and to sam's nephews right yeah it kind of leads to his point later when he apologizes to sam mm-hmm. yeah I, I like like you said before um about the apology that i didn't make that connection between that scene and the apology later where yeah. it that, so i i guess that that really isn't a gripe i have with mm-hmm. it it just in the moment i, I didn't i couldn't make that connection so that yeah i think it, it wasn't that sam it wasn't that bucky had that realization at the beginning of the series yeah. or had that thought at the beginning of the series but he came to that realization over the at course some of the point. series. Yeah. Right. But kind of in Bucky fashion, internalized it until that very moment. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Which, you know, it, there, you talked about briefly about Sam talking to Bucky about how he's been making amends with the book. Right. And mm-hmm. I thought oh, that was really good. You're not really making amends. You're just avenging. Uh, he yeah. said avenging. Yeah. Yeah. Great, 
choice of words. <laughs> Very great. But it, it he was right. I mean, we saw it in the first episode. It went back to that. He said he went to Yori and just hung out with him, you know, didn't yeah. <laughs> didn't give him the closure. And Sam says, I bet there, there was a name in there that doesn't have uh, closure because of something you did and you're the only person that can provide it to him. Mm-hmm. And I think next episode we'll see him go back to Yori. In New York. Yeah. And actually confess to him and Oh, it's in New York. Yeah, it's in New York. Yeah. So that does two things. One, that, that yep. that's closure for Bucky and for Yuri, and it also forces the character into New York somehow. Yeah. So we so we can put him yeah, together with true. everyone Good else. Good point. Good point. But yeah, it it it's really interesting because we saw that in the very first episode with Bucky, where he's not he's just kind of going through to cross it off and hoping it makes him feel better. But mm-hmm. you know, he has to have the hard hard talk, and it, it goes another it it seemed to me to be another call out to sam's work kind of working with veterans suffering from like ptsd you know that conversation was very much like sam um giving bucky some therapy in a way that he didn't get from his last therapist so i thought that was a good scene i also liked in when they're throwing the shield back and forth before the montage it reminded me almost like the conversation they were having and the way they were having it almost reminded me of like a, a talking stick conversation. Like when you sit in a circle and like you hand somebody the, <laughs> a stick, it's like you're they were literally doing that with a shield. Whoever had the right. shield was like saying something, they would whip it at the tree. The other person would catch it and say, the, say their next thing. And it just made me feel like a, like a, like a camp team building activity or something. <laughs> I think it was meant to do that, but I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's fun, good. That funny, <laughs> but you, you can see how they, I mean, they still won't admit it after, after that conversation when they, they don't admit that they're a team, <laughs> but yeah, they are, they are. Yeah. It, I thought it was really well done. And I guess, uh, you know, the montage too was cool. Uh, even though it like started weirdly <laughs> with Sam not being able to throw in the shield, <laughs> Seeing him be able to like flip and catch it and seeing his nephews look up to him like mm-hmm. as he's running. I thought that their, was really cool. Their Uncle Sam, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yep. Uh, really neat thing about the montage, probably not intentional, but as Sam's running, you can see he's running on like the left side of the screen towards the camera. So he's leaving a lot of room on his left. Oh, oh, <laughs> wow. I I I wonder. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but um, that's it's. it's... it's, (laughs) I saw I saw side by sides of the opening shot of Captain America: The Winter Soldier and the um, part of the montage where he's running on the trail, and they're like pretty similar. I think it was an intentional callback. Thought that was kind of neat. Well, I mean, they have been using a lot of the same visual language in from those films in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Whether it's him jumping out of the plane, whether it's John over top of the flag smasher or over Sam in this one. So the knife flip. flip, Yeah, it's I I mean, it it could very well be intentional Mm -hmm. at that at that point. I I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Yeah. I I mean, overall, in this episode, I'll say the cinematography was one of the standouts overall. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. just the way characters are framed it it's very noticeable That's, yeah and in, in that warehouse you saw john boxed in by by a frame with that light shining in on him yeah um and then uh one of the things i thought was really interesting was when zemo was in front of the slovakian statue I was just thinking of that at, at a point he stands off to the side and like the statue is looming over everybody oh that's um, neat so like i didn't catch that but i do remember that the that set piece in mm-hmm. particular being really so uh, they they did a 
they made a lot of matching shots. Uh, well, not necessarily matching shots, but they took a lot of, um, there's the same motif in every one of where the individual is being overshadowed by a large object or a large space where the individual is meant to feel small in the frame. Hmm. I'm stretching a little bit here, but that's another form of supremacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where, where these where these uh, countries and organizations and um, environments essentially overtake these individuals. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so, I mean, that's a that's a way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the last uh, last beat for Sam is when he goes to open that box, and we don't get to see it. But they, they do um, the Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it. Chase. I mean, it's the. They should have played the uh, the Zelda treasure chest opening. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, it has to be the Captain the America suit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Bucky knew I, that he was accepting the mantle and asked them to make it. And well, that that brings up a question though: is what's the favor that they owed him? Because they fixed him, he brought them Zemo. What other favor does <laughs> do they owe him? Yeah, they're pretty said, much even, right? <laughs> I called in a favor to the Wakandans. What else have they done for you? <laughs> that, or what else have you done for them that <laughs> you would owe them? Or they would owe you? Yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> they saved him. They got him a vibranium arm. He <laughs> They've been helping him. They, they, they helped him well, get rid of... Not even... <laughs> they helped him decode. Well, uh, okay, so I think I think what happened was <laughs> Wait, what what's the original question now? I'm, I'm like lost in my What what favor did the Wakandans owe Bucky? They did everything for him already and then he says, "Oh, I called in a favor yeah. with the Wakandans." <laughs> maybe maybe he just maybe it wasn't like we owe you one. It just yeah. he's like, "We're good. Can you do this for my buddy?" Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it was a weird line to throw in there. Yeah, that's fair. Cuz cuz they I was thinking like i don't know never mind i I lost my train of thought (laughs) like if anything he owes them like a lot because he broke out the person who murdered their king but hey (laughs) (laughs) but hey we fixed you we made you human human again but um yeah i mean that has to be the captain america suit and the fact that it's made in wakanda means that it could be really cool (laughs) yeah like really cool Mm -hmm. i'm really 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 excited to see it I hope it's I, I wonder if they're gonna go with like kind of a classic Falcon look or if they're gonna go full cap in America, stars and stripes. I think it'll be a, a pretty good hybrid of the two. Yeah, that's probably true. But we'll see. I just I I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. But it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. Very spoiler for WandaVision, but you know, <laughs> these series just tend to <laughs> give the characters their new MCU outfits in the last episode. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm on board with that. Let's do it. <laughs> Can't wait to see what they got in store for Loki. Oh God. <laughs> Are we missing anything? We hit it all. There was a lot to cover in this episode. Yeah. It was a meaty episode. Like you said, a lot of character work, and that usually means we have more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it for the episode. Yeah. We can uh, head into our last segment and in the inaugural segment of our fan casting. Do you want to go first? Uh it was your idea, so you got right. You okay. first. So, so starting right. things off, John will read off his number three pick for Reed Richards of the Fantastic okay. Four. This is a fun one. This this is um. Give, give us some of your thought process and your picks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Um. So my number three Reed casting is Adam Scott. 
Oh, okay. Okay, let's hear so it. So Adam Scott, um, known for mostly comedic roles, but he also can be a serious actor, which fits well with what the MCU goes for. I know him most from Parks and Rec, where he played Ben Wyatt um, in a great, really great role. But he also has kind of a a mean streak in some other roles. So he's, he's really versatile. Um, and I just kind of see him being able to pull off like a sort of an abrasive but also genuine Reed Richards mm-hmm. in a way that I, I think um, he could. And also, they, I think of Reed Richards being a little bit nerdy and Ben Wyatt is a very nerdy character and Adam Scott played that really well. And we've seen that they're, they've known, been known to dip into to Parks and Rec in the past for, <laughs> for casting like Chris Pratt. So, yeah, that's, that's my number three. Okay. My number three, uh, so a few weeks ago, I binged all of HBO's Euphoria. Mm. Um, my number three is Jacob Elordi. It's his only mm. major It's his only major role. He played Nate Jacobs, who essentially is the, the high school jock. Um, everybody in it is like 24, 25 years old, playing 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Okay. So, so I kind of, with, with my pitch, I kind of went uh, in... Younger? either younger or I kind of went the spectrum of younger to older. So, uh, so just, we don't know which direction they're going to go in yet. Uh, John Watts is coming back to direct the fantastic four. Mm-hmm. We know that much. So he, they could skew younger. So that's why I, I went with Jacob Lordy. Uh, he, he plays a, a, a jock who um, he has a lot of anger issues and it comes off very well. Uh, the character is, um, there is hiding a lot of a lot of emotional trauma and childhood trauma i feel and he's a bit he's a bit beefy but i feel like he would be able to pull off a a good young reed richards all right so he's a bit of a meathead but at the same time i feel like they might be able to make him what miles teller wanted to be Mm -hmm. well Um, it's interesting you went to euphoria too because there's a little bit of a john watts connection there with zendaya right oh yeah there is you're right so you have to wonder if he's familiar with that actor from that. maybe i don't know I, I think directors have pretty pretty big say in casting yeah typically they do but uh yeah i i think i think if they stew yonder jacob award might be a pretty good bet to cast a young reed richards who would eventually come into the role of mr fantastic mm-hmm. hmm. all right interesting so my my second choice, and that my one and two are pretty close. Like they're almost one A one B. Okay, I would say. Um, but number two, I have William Jackson Harper. That's my number two as no well. No way! Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, so For, William uh, Jackson Harper, best known as Chidi Anagonye on The Good Place, mm-hmm. um, which is a fantastic show. I highly recommend it for anyone that wants to watch and. Uh, I, Watching any of that show will tell you why he would be a good Reed Richards, honestly. Yeah, very much. He's uh, he can play the nerd very well, mm-hmm. as well as uh, give some attitude. Yeah, he's not he's not afraid to throw it back. He can be funny. He can be a little serious. He, he's he's very versatile, and he's yeah. he's great in uh, in uh, Dark Waters too. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Dark Waters. Yeah, he he was he is he's just a side character in there, but he's very good in that. I haven't seen him in Midsummer or Midsummer, however you pronounce it. Um, but I I'd, I'd say he's versatile enough to pull it off. 
Yeah, definitely. And he, he has, he has some really great emotional beats in the good place and really great comedic moments. And that it, it he would just be a, a really, really great fit. I think in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. We're aligned on number two. That's good. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so my, my number one, let's see if we have the same one for this one. I, I have Lakeith we... Stanfield. Okay. We don't, okay. we don't, I'm saving him for a few others. Lakeith. Yeah. Okay. I'm so, saving him for a few other places. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing I've seen him most recently in is Atlanta. So I've mm-hmm. binged that um, over the, I think it's fall. I binged it. And yeah, he's, he's a side character in that, but he does have a couple episodes where he's in the focus, um, including the Teddy Perkins episode, which honestly is what sold me mm-hmm. his acting abilities. Um, See, I've been, I've been on, I've been on the, the Lakeith train since get out. Yeah. Yeah. He was good in get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, anytime he pops up, I'm just, I'm, I almost I'm forgot he doesn't get out, but yeah. Um, great. And sorry to bother you as mm-hmm. well. And I, I just think he's a really, really good actor. Um, and he's on the younger side as well. He's only like 29. So someone who yeah. could be in the role for a long time. Well, he was in, uh, he was in Bojack Horseman too. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, so he, I mean, he has some comedic chops. He has some dramatic chops. He was fantastic in Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely deserves any award that he, he's been nominated for so many awards for that role, but because mm-hmm. of Daniel Kaluuya's role, yeah. uh, he, he won't win any. unfortunately they both deserve it for for those two uh characters but he he's very extremely versatile and i hope he gets into the mcu at some point yeah he's like he he seems like the i wouldn't even call him an up-and-comer at this point like he's a he's he's a star like he's borderline star i would say he's almost (laughs) yeah like but he know he kind of feels like one of those actors that it's a matter of time for him to be in the mcu right like yeah it it just it just feels like that Mm -hmm. almost in the way like i felt that kind of the same way about kit harrington before he came into (laughs) like you know what i mean like it almost was like oh yeah before game of thrones like really yeah blew him up type of actor that it was like okay this guy's gonna probably be in in a marvel movie at some point so yeah i i i really like the idea of lakeith as reed richards um i did see it as a young reed richards yeah i could definitely see it yeah i think i think he'd do a really good job in the role um yeah if anybody's interested in checking out some of his work like one of the more offbeat weird things is that teddy perkins episode of atlanta (laughs) it's so strange but he is so good in that episode my goodness (laughs) um yeah so that's that is my number one pick for reed richards all right who's your number one my number one (laughs) oh god Glenn Howerton. Oh, I have Dennis, him. On, I have him on my list, just a little further down. Dennis Reynolds as Reed Richards. I could see it as an older Reed Richards. I could see him with the with the gray hair, or with the gray side hair. It, it, he's a degenerate, but he is kind of a de facto leader, and it's always sunny. Yeah. And i I could truly see I could truly see him as an older as an older Reed Richards. I could see it. And he I has, know he's always wanted to try and get away from the Dennis Reynolds character just a little bit. And he had tried out for Star-Lord. He was, he was close yeah. to getting it. And yep. then they gave it to Chris Pratt. But I would like to see him not be Dennis Reynolds for once. I haven't seen AP Bio, though. I haven't either. I've heard it's really good. Mm-hmm. Another MCU alum in that, Patton Oswalt. 
<laughs> oh yeah because of shield yeah it's yeah i guess mcu adjacent alum but but yeah i i like that pick a lot i had him i i went through and made like a list of like four or five um mm-hmm. uh, a couple other ones on my list that didn't make the cut glenn howerton i kicked around the idea of jason sudeikis for a little while no i couldn't see but, it he's too he's too much of a dad to pull I, something off like that i was i was listening to a podcast that had bill Hader as their top choice which i thought okay. was really interesting okay that's I, had, interesting. I had a lot of trouble hearing him in like a role that requires that level of acting chops like i he was he's really really good in barry i was about to say have you seen barry type. yeah i have but it still is like a different type of role than i would expect for reed richards too yeah but, well um, i mean i i mean i mean with reed richards he's supposed to be one of the smartest characters in in the yeah. Marvel universe so i i feel like bill Hader gives off this uh this comedic persona a little too much yeah i, I mean barry it's still there a little bit mm-hmm. at, at points Yep. So I I feel like he he'd be a very interesting choice. Yeah, I could uh, see it. You'd have to convince me, but I could see it. Yeah. Um, and then another one. I don't know if you're familiar with this actor, but Rahul Kohli. Or Rahul Rahul Kohli. I don't no. know how you pronounce it. But so what I saw him in was um, Bly Manor. Yeah, Haunting of Bly Manor. He played one of the staff members, Owen. Okay. Um, and he was he was really good in that. He's also been rumored to join the Star Wars universe as well as okay. Ezra, live action adult Ezra Bridger. Oh, okay. So, um, but he he would he would be a good choice for that as well. So I kind of had him on on my list, but not my top three. But yeah, so that is our our fan casting for Reed. It's funny that we had someone on <laughs> in the same spot on yeah. our lists. <laughs> um when we were talking about him earlier when i mentioned him about uh trevor slattery i think scoop mcnary would have been a really good pick um he he's all over he's one of the most versatile actors and one of my favorite ones working today um he's done comedic roles he's, he's done very serious roles he's done very corny roles like he's i i and he's about the right age of what a reed richards type would would be if they went older uh-huh um I think he would be a fun choice, but because they used him in the one shot, I don't think they they'd be able to go back and use him. Especially I think since, they could. well, I mean, that, he that gets into like Gemma Chan territory too, where yeah, like that's a minor, true. Very minor side character, but they cast her in a role. Well, I mean, they, he hasn't. He outright has a ten rings tattoo on his wrist in <laughs> in the <laughs> in the short. Undercover. So. <laughs> I don't know. He was still, that was our first MCU appearance of Reed Richards. Was the Hail to the King short. <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know what you think of your of our fan casts. If uh, mm-hmm. if you have a winner out of us too, or if uh, if you have your own thoughts, let us know on social media. Yeah, well, we uh, you can follow us on Twitter at INF Watchers Pod. Um, same handle for Instagram. Um, and if you would like to send us an email, um, you can contact us at Infinity Watchers Pod at gmail dot com. Yeah, and we I think I'm I'm excited to get to our our Doom casting eventually. I have some oh. fun. I have some real fun picks for that one. I got. I about- doubt. I doubt we will have the same. I doubt it. Picks. I, I I can't remember which one we have planned for next week. I think Sue Storm, but um, okay. we will we will get the Doom rest assured, and it it will be a good time. 
I feel like with Doom, we got to do a top five. We can do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I got to, th- we, we got to think this through and we're going to think this through on air. Uh, yep. Next, next week, next week, we're going to be doing our finale recap mm-hmm. of Falcon Winter Soldier. The following week will be our, uh, our, the first half of our rankings. Yep. Of the MCU. Do we want to do a fan cast during the week of our rankings? I think so. Okay. Just to keep the ball rolling. Okay, so you'll get a, you should get a fan cast every week then. Yeah. Yep, I think we will. Just because I'm worried if we slow down, then eventually they're going to actually cast these roles. And then we're gonna be <laughs> That's true. That's why I'm hitting like Fantastic Four first. I, I, I have Adam Warlock on the list for us to hit as well. Because that I've one's going to be coming soon. I've had one in my mind for years on that Me one. Too. I can't wait to get to. I'm, I'm excited for that one. I think... Um, I have a spreadsheet here. Let me look so I can see who we've got lined up next week. Um, Is it Sue Storm? I think so, yeah. Okay. I have some choices for that one, too. But. Okay. All right. Well, tune in next week so you can hear our thoughts on the finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And oh, cannot wait. Here are Sue Storm pits. Yeah. So for your favorite J&Js here at Infinity Watchers, I'm Jared. And I'm John. And thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.